Right, if you wouldn't open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this in it which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest, and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they rent their clothes, and laid at every man his ass, and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he should be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this evening, a thankful people. Oh, how thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ. How thankful we are for a Savior whose blood redeems, fully and completely redeems. His blood cleanses us from all sin. How we thank you for a Savior who would willingly suffer and die for such wretched sinners as we are. Oh, how thankful we are. How thankful we are for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that you've given to us to preach and to believe. How thankful we are for this this hour, this hour where we've gathered together to hear a word from thee, your message for us in this hour. Father, we're so thankful. And Father, yet we are a poor and a needy people. We can do nothing without thee. And Father, I pray you send your spirit upon us 
and enable us to worship, to truly worship from the heart tonight. Enable us to be able to set aside all the goings on of this life and to hear the gospel of Christ our Savior. To have our souls refreshed, to have our hearts thrilled at the, at the sound of the gospel and be drawn to Him, be drawn ever closer to Him, to believe Him and rest in more fully. Father, we, we thank you for this family of believers that you've called together. Father, I ask that you keep us faithful to this cause, to preach Christ to our generation, to our town, to our generation, to our family and children and loved ones. Father, I pray you bless your word as it's preached and that you'd keep us faithful to preach it. And Father, that you would cause us to be a help and an encouragement to one another. Don't let us be a, a stumbling block for our brothers and sisters, but always make us be an encouragement to them, to show our love and care for them. And Father, we pray for those of our number and your people in other places who are going through deep, deep waters. They need you especially at this time. We, we pray especially for our sister Peg Wooten, Father, that you'd undertake in her behalf in a, in a mighty way that you'd use this surgery to heal her body, that you'd be with her, that you'd give grace and comfort and peace to her and Earl as they go through this difficult time. Now, Father, again, I beg of you that you'd enable us tonight to hear word from thee. For it's in Christ's name, for his sake and his glory, we pray. Amen. Now, I've titled the message this evening, The Cup of Judgment. Back in, in verse 1, We'll reread this. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away. And when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it, in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. Now it seems like Joseph is playing a dirty trick on his brother, doesn't it? By planting the, the cup in Benjamin's bag. I mean, it, it just struck me. That's the kind of thing brothers do to, to one another, you know. But this is no prank. I mean, this is serious, serious business. Joseph has planted evidence on Benjamin and made him guilty. And he did this to Benjamin. Now, one of the other 12, this was to Benjamin. Of all Joseph's brothers, Benjamin is the only one who's innocent of selling Joseph into slavery. When all that happened, Benjamin was just an infant. He didn't have anything to do with it. Yet Joseph chose him to make guilty and plant this cup in his sack. Now, it seems like a dirty, rotten trick, doesn't it? But you know, there is a glorious picture of the gospel of our Savior here. You see, this is the way. This Putting this cup, planting this cup in Benjamin's sack, this is the way that Joseph is going to bring his brothers back to him and reconcile him himself back to his brothers. This makes Benjamin a type of Christ who saved his people from their sin and made them what they're not. He made them righteous. He made them not guilty. 
Benjamin is a type of Christ who reconciled God's people back to him. Now Joseph's older ten brothers, they're guilty and they know it. They, they, they know it. Joseph knows it. And they knew exactly what they were doing years and years ago when they sold Joseph into slavery. They knew what they were doing. Just exactly like our father Adam. He knew exactly what he was doing. When he took the fruit of the, of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and ate it, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was saying, I'm going to be God. I'm going to be the one to make the rules. I'm going to be the one to decide what's good and what's evil. I'm going to make the rules. He knew exactly what he was doing. These older ten brothers, they knew what they were doing. And they know they're guilty. As you read through this story, how often do you see, you can just see it. They have been living with a guilty conscience ever since. They're afraid God's going to get them. They're afraid these things are going to happen. They've got a guilty conscience because they know what they did to their little brother. And even though they got a guilty conscience, a self-righteous, legalistic religion is still alive and well in them. Look at verse 6. And he, Joseph's servant, overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should, should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouth. We brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever thy servants it be found, both let him die, and will also be uh, my Lord's bond, Lord's bondman. And here's what these brothers are saying. Now, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We have committed other sins, but we never commit this sin. We never commit this sin. Steal from you? No, no. Look, look what honest men we are. You, we found that money in, in our sacks, you know, last time. We thought it was a mistake. And we brought it back to you to show you how, how honest we are. Now, I know we're guilty of sins. But now, we're not that bad. We're not that bad. And it, if you do think we're that bad, here's what we'll do. We'll work to pay off our debt. You know, they didn't have a thought. I mean, not a single thought did they have of asking for mercy. Asking for forgiveness. Not a single thought. And that's us, spiritually. Our first thought, when we somebody tells us, Charlie, somebody tells us I'm a sinner. My first thought is, I'm not that bad. But if you think I am, I'm going to do some good works to kind of level the, the scales out, you know, a little bit. You know why we don't ever, it just doesn't cross our mind to ask God for mercy. It's because we don't think we need it. That's why these brothers never asked this servant for mercy, forgiveness. They didn't think they needed it. They said, well, I mean, you know, we've sinned, but we're not that bad. But that's the only conclusion a dead spiritual mind can come up with. The only conclusion a dead mind, a dead heart can come up with is I can do some work. I can do some good things to offset my bad things, to offset my sin. And we think that because we don't know what sin really is. We think that because we have no idea what it takes to put sin away. Look over at uh, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah chapter 12. Look at 
You know, the only way you and I will ever see what sin really is is when we see Christ crucified for our sin. Now, I know we're not going to physically see that, but by faith, if we ever see Christ crucified for sin, that's the first time we're going to see what sin really is. The awful, horrible, bloody slaughter that our Savior went to at Calvary. Just in your mind's eye, watch him suffering there. Body and soul. His body marred more than any other man. I mean, they treated him more harshly, more cruelly than they treated anybody before or since when they crucified him. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. He made his soul an offering for sin. How he suffered when he was made sin for his people. And if the Lord ever gives us a glimpse of that, we're going to be shocked. I mean, it'll just be a shock to our system. And we won't beg for mercy until we see that. Until we see what it really took to put sin away. Zechariah tells us that. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I'll pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And when God pours out grace upon his people, this is the first thing he makes them see. They shall look on me whom they've pierced. He's pierced for my sin. He's pierced because I'm the one that drove the nails in his hands and feet. He's pierced because I'm the one that thrust the crown of thorns on his head. He's pierced because I'm the one that thrust the, the spear into his side. That spear had to be thrust into his side so out would flow blood and water because that's the only way I could be clean. That's the only way I could be redeemed. That was done on account of me. On account of my... Oh, they'll look upon me whom they've pierced and then they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. The only way we'll ever truly mourn over sin is by seeing what it cost Christ to put it away. That's the only way we'll ever mourn over it. Now look back in our text, Genesis 44 verse 10. See, this is how Benjamin pictures Christ in our story. And this servant said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. You know, when the brothers realized that they're in trouble, when they saw their little brother was guilty, that's the first hint that they ever got, we're in real trouble. They know what's going to happen. They know we're not going to be able to bring Benjamin home now. And Judah, later on in the chapter, tells Joseph it, our father, his life is tied up in the land. If we don't bring him home, our father's going to die. He's just going to die of a broken heart. We're in trouble. We're in real trouble. Look at, uh, at verse 27 this chapter. This is Judah. This is what, the way he's talking to Joseph. And he said, Thy servant, my father, said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons. Everybody knows Jacob had two wives. And he's saying to the ten, 
the one of, of the, the wife that he didn't love, my wife. He's only recognized as one of them. Can you imagine how much that hurt them? My wife bare me two sons. The one went out from me, and I said, surely he's torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me, and mischief befall him, you should bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now, he didn't say that about Judah or Simeon or any of that. Only Benjamin. Jacob should not have said that that way. He should not have done that. What a what an awful example of parenting. But you know what? This is a picture of everybody God saves. It's just like Zachariah said. We're only going to start realizing we're in trouble because of our sin when we see Christ was made guilty. That he was made guilty for my sin. And look at what he had to suffer at Calvary to put my sin away. That's that's the first time I'll ever mourn over my sin. Well, they bring the guilty party. They bring their brother back to Joseph, who's the judge. Verse 14, And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell down. They fell before him on the ground. I I should have counted this up. How many times... When Joseph's brothers come back to Egypt, how many times did they fulfill Joseph's dreams that they ate him for? I mean, this is just their standard place, right? At Joseph's feet on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you've done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Joseph said, What are you boys doing? How could you ever think you could get away with this? Don't you know? Surely you know this. I can divine. Now that word divine, I looked this up. It means divine, like what you'd think it means, like, you know, enchantments and spells and magic and so forth. It also means seeing things that are hidden from everybody else. You see something nobody else can see. And it also means to diligently observe. To, to, it means to see things as they really are. The marginal reading here says it means to judge. That's the best way. If if you're going to be a judge, the best thing to do is if you can see things as they really are, right? That's the way you know you hand down the right verdict. Here's what Joseph's telling his brothers. Surely you know. I see everything about you. I mean, I see clear through you. I know everything that there is to know about you, and I'm going to judge you. Well, verse 16, Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And Joseph said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he should be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Now the brothers, they all want to be guilty. I think if I was them, I would too. I think I'd rather stay Joseph's slave than have to go back home and tell my father we lost Benjamin too. We lost Joseph, we lost Benjamin. Maybe they think it's just better off. I, I stay a slave, not have to go back and face my father. But Joseph says, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. That's not just. See, I'm, I'm the judge. I see things as they really are. It wouldn't be just to, to make the innocent stay here and be, be my slaves. He said, no, you go in peace. And go back to your father. You're not guilty. All right, that's that's the story of what happened between these 12 brothers. Now let me give you a picture of Christ. 
This is the gospel of salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one is this. If God's elect are going to be saved, something's got to be done with this cup. The Lord Jesus Christ has got to drink the cup of judgment for you. He's got to drink it. You know, you have to say, humanly speaking, Joseph was underhanded, wasn't he? Making his brother Benjamin guilty. I mean, he planted the evidence on We got all kinds of laws and rules. You can't plant evidence on people. Joseph did. Make his brother guilty. And remember, this is his brother. I mean, this is the son the, the son of his mother. It's a... It's his precious baby brother, and it's the only brother that hadn't done Joseph wrong. Yet by what he did, Joseph made Benjamin guilty. He made him under the law by making him take that cup unawares to be, to be a slave to the law. But this is a picture of how it is Almighty God puts away the sin of his people. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only righteous man the only innocent man to ever live. He never never once sinned against God. He never wanted to. He never thought about it. He never did it. Not one time did he ever sin against God. He obeyed his father's law perfectly. He did it so well, he honored and magnified it. But the end of his life, the father made his son guilty. The father gave his son the cup. And Christ took it willingly. When the Father gave him that cup, you know what he did? He made him sin. He made him guilty. He made him guilty of the sins of his people. The Savior willingly became guilty. He wasn't tricked into it. He willingly became guilty. The sin of God's elect was transferred from them to Christ. Now, not only did the Savior Oh, the debt. He actually became guilty of it. Even though he never committed, he's the only one never committed a sin. But when the Father gave him that cup, he actually became guilty of the sin of his people. And when Christ was made sin for his people, something's got to be done with that sin. Judgment, justice has to be satisfied. So the Savior took that cup of God's judgment and he drank it dry. I mean every last drop. So if you believe him, you'll never taste it. There's not a drop left for you to drink. He drank it dry. See, the father has a cup of divination. It's the father. And this it's not magical. It's not something that casts in spells. The father sees things as they really are. He sees things Men cannot see. He sees the hearts of men. He knows our secret sins. And this cup is also a cup of judgment. Now remember the father. He sees every sin. Nothing's hid from him. He sees everything as it really is. He's going to punish every sin. His holy character demands it. He must punish every sin. And he won't miss one. Because he sees them all. Well, when Christ was made sin for his people, he took that cup of judgment from his father. And he took that cup because he was going to willingly suffer for every sin of every one of his people. When our Savior went to Calvary 
and he hung on Calvary's tree, the father saw every sin of every one of his people and he punished his son fully for him. He didn't miss one. He didn't miss one. I'll tell you why that's good news. There can't be one left for you to pay for. He paid for them all. That cup of suffering. Look at Isaiah chapter 51. I love how the Old Testament foretells of these things. So we know this. The, the, the cross was not plan B on God's part. It's not like, well, the, the law didn't work. and The ceremonies didn't work. And people won't follow me. So I, I got to do this plan B or plan C, whatever. No, this is God. The cross is God's eternal purpose. Isaiah 51, verse 22. Here's how horrible, how horrible this cup of judgment was. The Savior called it the cup of trembling. Isaiah 51, verse 22. Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again. The Savior drank that cup of trembling dry. I mean, it was so awful. The sufferings it would cause him were so awful. He called it the cup of trembling. And he drank the very dregs of it. I mean the worst tasting stuff glommed up there at the bottom of it. He drank it all. The Lord calls it drinking the the judgment of God against sin. He says that's the dregs. The dregs of God's fury. And our Savior drank the fury of his Father until that fury was no more. He drank until sin was gone. The only, the only reason the father's fury stopped is sin was gone. His fury stopped when the blood of Christ put away the sin of his people. So you know what the father can say to you? There's no more fury left in me. <laughs> the Savior drank it dry. Our Savior suffered until that cup was empty. So that it is... The justice of God makes it impossible for any of God's elect to ever be punished for their sin. Christ drank it dry. So there's no judgment left. But I'm telling you what that cost our Savior. His suffering was so horrible. Ezekiel 23 verse 33 he called it the cup of astonishment. It's astonishing what Christ suffered for his people. It's astonishing that he would suffer for people like you and me. It's astonishing. He also called it the cup of desolation. The son suffered desolation on the cross because the father deserted him. He deserted him because sin was found on his son and he suffered alone. He had to take the cup alone by himself. He had to drink the cup alone. He had to suffer alone. He had to. Because nobody else is able to pay the price that God's justice deserves. So he suffered alone. Now you think about it. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only innocent man to ever live, was made guilty. He took the cup of God's judgment and God's wrath. He did it willingly. 
He knew exactly what he was doing. Just like Adam knew what he was doing, our Savior knew what he was doing. He took that cup willingly because he loved the people. And that's the only way the sin of those people could be put away. But look at Matthew chapter chapter 26. Now the Savior did this willingly. This is his own personal, eternal will and purpose that he come to this earth as a man to suffer and die. That's why he came. That was his whole purpose in all of this. But don't think it was no big deal. Look at Matthew 26, beginning in verse 37. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. This thing is so awful, I'm afraid I'm going to die right here. Tarry ye here, watch with me. And he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed. I mean, he, this is serious praying. Fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed. The hour of hours is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. He, he wasn't trying to hide, was it? He said, Rise and let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Three times the Son of God prayed. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It didn't pass from him. He drank it. You know why it didn't pass from him? Because it's not possible that he not drink it. The only way his people could be saved is if he drank that cup dry. And he drank it. The cup's empty. No judgment for you to drink. Well, here's the second thing. Now that cup's gone. It's empty. You don't have to drink of it. Christ drinking the cup of judgment for his people saved them from all. 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 I mean all. Can, can we get all? All of their sin. First, when Christ drank that cup dry, he made his people perfect. He made them blameless. We have that in picture back in our text. Genesis 44. Verse 10, the servant said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it's found shall be my servant, and you shall be blameless. And he said that to them ten brothers, who are the furthest from blameless you can be. But he said, you'll be blameless. Well, when Christ came, he fulfilled that picture, didn't he? Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verse 14, says believers are going to be found of him in peace 
without spot, and blameless. God who sees everything as it is finds you blameless if Christ died for you. There's no sin that he could blame you for. Christ took it all away. Then second, Christ drank the cup of God's wrath dry. He gave his people peace. Peter says that the believers will be found of him in peace. In peace, they have peace. Peace with God. That's pictured in our text too, verse 17. Joseph said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose cup, in whose hand the cup is found, he should be my servant. He's going to be punished. But as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Joseph tells him, go in peace. You didn't do anything wrong. You and me are peace. Judgment's not chasing you. We're at peace. You can have peace of conscience. You didn't steal my cup. For the gospel of God's grace tells his people, now go in peace. Go in peace. You don't have to fear God's wrath. Now if Christ died for you, you don't. The blood of Christ made peace with God for you. The blood of Christ took away the sin that made God angry. There's no reason for him to be angry. He's at peace. And you know what? If you trust Christ, you have peace with God. You're not angry with God. God's not angry with you. You have peace. Now go in peace. Let your conscience enjoy that peace. Let your conscience enjoy it. Christ bought it for you. You may as well enjoy it, hadn't you? And then third, when Christ drank the cup of judgment, he gave his people a full and free salvation. Verse 1 in our text. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. Joseph, under no circumstances, is ever going to let his brothers pay him anything for food. No, there's brothers. He's not going to let them do that. This is being done as a picture of salvation. Now I want to tell you, salvation in Christ is free. It's free. Now, it's not free in the sense that, that it was given freely. Christ had to earn it, didn't he? He had to purchase it. He had to buy it with his own blood. He had to purchase it by making his soul an offering for sin. But he gives it to his people freely. You can have salvation for free. It's yours. As long as you don't bring any of your good works to help pay for it. I tell you the reason people are going to go to hell is they're trying to help God out. That's exactly right. They got something they're going to, they just insist on, ha- on, on helping God out. Paying, I'm going to pay some of my own way anyway. If you're going to have God's salvation, you're going to have it for free. You're going to have it by trusting Christ to do all the saving for you. Well, there's full, free salvation because Christ drank the cup dry. But here's the last thing. There's still a cup for God's people to drink of. There's still a cup. Look at Psalm 116. David tells us about this cup. I was reading this week. One of the old writers was talking about I just find it's it's fascinating. 300 years ago, 
400 years ago, people got, I mean, the exact same issues with the gospel that we do. He was, he, he, this, he, he, he's wound tight. He's, he was so upset with hearing preachers in his day preach a whole message on God's grace. Preach a whole message on God. I mean, just, I mean, grace, 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 grace. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. And then get to the end and take out that cup of judgment and beat people up with the law. <laughs> Trying to get them back right. That's not the cup I'm talking about. Let's don't get that cup back out now. There's a cup for you to take. David calls it the cup of salvation. Psalm 116, verse 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He's been mindful of his people from all of eternity. He never forgot you. He'll bless us. He'll bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. I'm in the wrong spot. I'm in verse chapter one. Those are good verses, but I meant to say verse Psalm 116. Excuse me. For I will render, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I'll take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Sinners can take the cup of salvation and drink it. In faith, drink it. I'm telling you, come to Christ. Believe him. Just lay down your works. Just quit trying to help God out and take the cup of salvation and drink it. That cup is filled with all the blessings that Almighty God has for a sinner. Now come drink it. Come drink it. Since our salvation is full and free, wouldn't you say, we have to say with David, my cup runneth over. I just wonder, that David was thinking about Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. It's the cup of salvation. And the second cup that I thought of for believers to take, it's a blessing now to take it. It's the cup of the Lord's table. That cup of wine that we drink at the Lord's table, it always reminds us of Christ's blood, His pure, sinless blood shed as a sacrifice for our sin. And our Lord remembered our frame. And He said, now this do in remembrance of me. You do this to to remember me. Do this. That cup helps us remember that Christ drank the cup of judgment and He drank it dry. Now we take that cup of the Lord's table, remembering his blood, celebrating his blood, rejoicing in what his blood bought for us. That's two pretty good cups, isn't it? We can drink that cup because Christ drank the cup of wrath for us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Let's bow together. Our Father, how can we even begin to thank you for the sacrifice of your son? How can we ever begin to thank you for the, your mercy and your grace that you would take the sin of wretched, vile sinners, natural born enemies of yours, and put that sin upon your son? 
and that he would put it away by the sacrifice of himself. Oh, how we thank you. Our words are not sufficient, but from the heart we thank you. And Father, I pray that you would grant each heart here tonight peace in trusting Christ our Savior. Trusting him to drink that cup dry for us. That we might take the cup of salvation and drink of it freely. Father, we do ask this blessing for our good, for our benefit. But Father, for your glory, we ask this. That you'd save us so that you'd get all the glory in doing it. It's in Christ's name. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right. Sean, come lead us in a hymn if you would.